down a rabbit hole with Jethro. That's not a problem. Uh, today is the kilt of the cloth as we continue our discussion of the book of Exodus, chapter 21. Uh, most likely we'll get through uh, 22 to 23, but um, we're, we're continuing our discussion. And I, uh, Robert is a little worried about asking a question about Jethro, and I'm totally fine with this. So go for it. Jethro is Midianite. Yes. They worship Yahweh? We don't know. <laughs> no. I saw something. Now, Talmud would have you say that he worships Yahweh. Uh, the Hebrew Bible would not. Um, part of the problem with it is, is we, Yahweh is a, a, a Hebrew term. Okay. He is lineage of Abraham. Just like every human. He's Katara's cousin. Like, like he's like his second or third cousin, I think. Okay. Yeah. And Katara's the second or third wife of Abraham, depending on what you want to do with Hagar. Exactly. And, and, and we don't have any mention of her whatsoever in the ancient text, but in the Talmud, they mention her as well as in the, they have her third, his third wife's name in the it's it's i would have to look it back up it is just mentioned that it's the third wife and gives five kids mm. median, median being one of them in the lydian lineage yeah right right so and remember the, the most important part about this at that place is the conversation about the names of people are the names of geographic locations and that's on purpose so that they can kind of give an idea of these people are okay these people are not <laughs> and that's that happens a lot um but yeah, no, Jethro, I don't think, uh, no, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty sure that he did not worship Yahweh. Um, and the Hebrews did not, didn't claim him. Moses is the only one that does. And that's just because he's his father-in-law. Really. But he brings him all these laws. Sure he does. Yeah. And, and he found, I don't think Moses was lost. <laughs> no, no. At somewhere we, we get that Moses is lost out there in the desert for 40 years. Uh -huh. If Jethro found him, then I thought, you know, all you do have to do is walk north. Yeah. And you will find whatever you're looking for. There's and you a huge get that mass of people walking through the desert. You're going to find them. It's yeah. not that hard. I mean, according to, you know, numbers, there's what, hundreds of thousands of people walking through the desert. Yeah, that's a stretch. But anyway. be on one acre land. that's all on one acre. I mean, you know, that's. That's a lot of people on one acre of land. So, so the, the big thing about Jethro that's important is, is that the Levitical priest, which actually goes into the day, that's why I wasn't worried about reading it up. The thing that's fascinating about the Hebrew Bible is, is that we have a we we come at it with this lens that we know that it's one group of people talking about how they're going to lead themselves. The problem with this is the absurdity to understand that they would not be affected by other cultures. And I guess that's where they, yeah. they accepted him. But for whatever reason, he's accepted. Right. And I'm going to argue more than just being the father-in-law. Oh, I'm, sure. No, yeah. they, they did what he said. I mean, like, that's not <laughs> crazy at all. The interesting thing about 21 and 22 is the civil and criminal laws are what every other culture in the area we were following also. <laughs> the only thing that makes it different here for us is, is that they add God to it. 
They do, we do this because God says so. The other cultures were saying, well, our gods tell us to do this also. So it shows this, like if you all are reading, those that have the Jewish translation, publishing society, whatever, they, they, the commentary is going to tell you that there's this, this joint effort of the Levitical writers to show the connection that they have around the communities, but how much different than they are of the others because they've got God and the other ones don't. I mean, that's a, a very crude summary of what the commentary says here from the Jewish perspective. But really, in my per perception, what ends up happening is this 21 and 22 is it establishes that the Ten Commandments are important, but we still have to have order. And how do you create order? Well, we have to create laws that, that uh, lift up and elevate the Ten Commandments, which I would argue every culture has done in the name of God since, in some way or another. We know that you're not supposed to murder. We know you're not supposed to steal. These are not new laws, right? But how we do that, how we keep people from doing that, that's where civil and criminal law becomes a thing. And this is the first time that you hear that. Why is Jethro important? Well, he's not one of them, even if in the ancient text, right? He's not one of them, but he gives them laws that lift up the Ten Commandments. Oh, yeah, we like Jethro. He's a good guy. <laughs> he's, he's a good person. We'll, we'll use him. And they don't mention the other Jethros that they get the rules from in 21 and 22, which is why I think it's fascinating. Why is Jethro lifted up while all these other people that we're getting these laws from are not? There's these uh, really old texts that, that we get from the Hebrew text. You know, we, I've always told you guys that we have really old ones, and then we have the Babylonian ones, and then there's like Arcadian ones, and then there's this one, and this one, and this one. And by the time you get to the Masoretes, it's gone through different manifestations all this time until you get to this point where the Masoretes say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna clean it up. We want it to make sense. The problem problem that we've always talked about when it comes to translations is, is that the more you do it, the more you lose. And so the goal then for historians today is how far can we go back to the original? Because we want the original source. Well that's physically impossible when it comes to the Hebrew text, but we can find the oldest that we have available text. The oldest that we have available text has these, but does also does not mention where they got them. That's why I think it's fascinating. So for them, they're claiming superiority over all the other tribes that are having the same rules. That's how it feels from my perspective but I, I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm okay with that because they're doing it in defense of them. They're doing it in the name of God. They're establishing God as the judge and jury. However, we've created judges and we've created juries and we've created rulers, right? Because Jethro gives them guidelines, but they're doing it based off of a faith-based understanding. Does this work? That's my question. Does this work? When you have religious laws that rule a society does that work forever if the answers in our world is no because we right. work very hard to separate mm -hmm. but 
if they're not going to have a king, they're only going to follow God, then they need something. So who I mean, would that person be then? Well, whoever they a judge. I mean, whoever, judge. whoever they judge. elect to, to, That's right. to a, review the laws. There it I is. Mean, so what's happening here, this is we're hearing how they created Levitical priests. It's giving them credence to why we have judges. Uh, it also gives some credence, and I think this is funny, actually. It also gives credence to as to why they don't need kings. Remember, the people wanted a king. God did not. So the, Levit the Levites have always argued we never needed a king. That's what everybody else has. So, again, Jethro is a perfect example of that embracing something from the outside culture here you're dealing with a culture that's saying that are writing this after the fact uh we have to have rules but we don't need to have them from human beings telling us how to live our lives even though we still need to have human beings telling us how to live our lives it's funny not funny haha but it's funny weird funny weird uh any more questions, comments about that? I told you it was a good rabbit trail. I guess I'm wrestling with the part that at some point human judgment still comes in there. Always, yeah. I mean, it's a very thin line, but well, there's a there's also the absurdity of human beings too right we're we're ultimately going to do what's best for us mm -hmm. i don't care what anybody says you could be the most beneficent person on the planet at the end of the day you're still going to do what's good for you i give this because i can do that mm -hmm. um humans i think the other part that's fascinating about 21 and 22 that we're going to read here in a second is you can hear kind of this angst as we're reading it as to why we set up these laws the way they did. You know, you can hear the saints, we're doing this because. Um, and and then, then when you get to the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, because here, these are all sinful and criminal laws. These are not a part of the 613 that we talked about in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Then you go, oh, I guess we got to do this all over again because we never figured <laughs> it out the first time, right? So that's that human component that we're talking about here. And the priests know this, the ones that are putting this together. Like, yeah, we didn't learn it the first time. We're definitely not going to learn it the second time. And ultimately, the, the midrash or the rabbinical statement is, we're never going to get it right. But because we know we're not ever going to get it right, we have to keep trying. <laughs> and and we're and maybe eventually we'll figure it out. Christians, this is, remember I told you last week, the part that is very dangerous is, is that we, what we end up saying is, well, because of Jesus, we figured it out, and it's done. And that's not safe. That's that's not a that says that all the Jews are still dumb and they haven't figured out anything, and that they're never going to get make it to whatever. And that's not what Jesus had intended. Jesus's role was rabbinical. He was talking about Torah-based subjects. And the thing that's fascinating about it is is that we created another movement based off of his teachings that came from the Torah. <laughs> like, it's, it's amazing. 
but he doesn't he doesn't wipe away all the human problems. He just for Christians we say he wipes away the sin. Um, but we still got to follow laws. He's very adamant about that. So the priests are going to incorporate these laws into their religion. Yes. Yes. How do they rationalize or justify that the Ten Commandments don't cover? Well, they don't that understand God, that. that God doesn't give them everything they need. Yeah. So, I mean, so what they're going to say is, is that God never, that God's laws supersede those. But in order for us as humans, because we can't live to those standards, um, like, like just take the murder thing. Every tribe that comes around them is going to kill them. That's murder. That's everybody knows that that's bad, but they can't stop it. So what do we do? We create laws to help prevent it. But that's only within our own society. Another society comes along and killing people is fine. So, but we're not going to be like them. Does that does that make sense? Yeah. That becomes the difference. I, I think that too many times, and I'm speaking for myself, that I look at them as being different. Yeah. And they're not. I mean, <laughs> it's the same struggles. We ended up by separating them. They're they're yeah. joining them. Exactly. Yeah. There, there, there. There's no separation between the Ten Commandments and these civil and criminal laws and Levitical and Deuteronomistic laws. They're all the same to them. I mean, it's an act of life. It's a it's a lifestyle. Whereas in Christians, well, these are the Ten Commandments. These are God's laws, and here's Leviticus and Deuteronomy. These are humans laws to live up to the 10 in the in this part there's no separation except god's law is infallible it just would be since they're responsible for defending both seems like it would be a very tough job it is hence the reason they're writing it three different times <laughs> and we have the holy spirit Oh, well, and then there's the Holy Spirit conversation, but for these folks, they don't have this at all. Like, they're no, <laughs> they're not even thinking Holy Spirit. They, they don't even, the, the idea of grace is only the times that they're living in, in good graces with God. Like, oh, yeah, we're being blessed at this moment. That was what they see. Right before they fall off. The right ground. before they fall <laughs> off again and start all over, climbing back up the slope. All right. Let's read Mishpatim. These are the rules that you shall set before them. When you acquire a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years. In the seventh year, he shall go free without payment. See, right there, boom. Tie to uh, creation. That's on purpose. If he came single, he shall leave single. If he had a wife, his wife shall leave with him. Notice how that automatically sets it up. If, there, if he comes single and he gets married under your service, that wife and all of their children stay with you, but he gets to leave. Did you catch that? If uh, if he came with a wife, and he, he shall leave with his wife shall leave with him. Is if, if if his master gave him a wife, and she bore him children, the wife and her children shall belong to the master, and he shall leave alone. That's what we just said. But if the slave declares, "I love my master and my wife and children." I do not wish to go free. His master shall take him before God. Now, this is a little bit of a hard translation. In Hebrew, it's not really like taking him to God. The, the translation society, the JPS says, it's like 
to the judges. But the, the Hebrew is very unclear here as to, as to who says it. One historical scholar um, says basically it's more like we bring these questions up before God and God will answer it to us with us. It's like the basic translation. But to bring someone before God implies that you're bringing him before whom? Who has to make that choice? The priest. The priest. <laughs> so the priest then becomes the ultimate judge. If this master, the slave, and the wife all say these things, who gets to keep the kids and the, the servants is the problem. So being brought before God, right off the bat, by the way, this is what created slavery in the name of God. That's what we're reading here. He shall be brought to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall then remain the slave for life. So he goes from being an indentured servant for six years to being a slave for the rest of his existence. And we did this, the awl in their ears and the whole bit in the United States. When a man sells his daughter as a slave, she shall not be free as uh, male slaves are. If she proves to be displeasing to her master who designated her for himself, he must let her be redeemed. He shall not have the right to sell her to a, he shall not have the right to sell her to outsiders since he broke faith with her. And if he designated her for his son, he shall deal with her as the practice with pre-maidens. Did you catch what's going on there? If he decides to sleep with her and she bears him a son, then that's okay. But if he has relations with her and she doesn't, then he can do with whatever he wants to with her. He can throw her away. If he fails, in, uh, if he marries another and must not withhold from this one her food, her clothing, her conjugal rights. Do you see how this goes? <laughs> if he fails her in these three ways, she shall go free without payment. Who gets to make that choice is the mm -hmm. question that my professors brought up. Mm -hmm. How does someone find out? So it's word against my word. Mm -hmm. This is this is a massive problem culturally, even for them back at this time. Um, the commentary says something about uh, biblical law, talking about two different types of slaves. This this is really more for their purposes than it is for the cultural right. There's this. They understand what it means to be indentured servants, and also they have also just left a culture of being enslaved. So now they're saying, if you own slaves, because we're going to just piggyback off the cultures that we've learned from, this is how it works. It's amazing this hasn't come back. Um, number twelve. Uh, this is this is where it gets funny. <laughs> he who fatally strikes a man shall be put to death. If he did not do it by design, but it came by an act of God, I will assign you a place to which he can flee. When a man schemes against another and kills him treacherously, you should, you should, you shall take him from my very altar to be put to death. So, capital punishment has been going on forever. I mean, like it's it's a thing. But notice the, the rules here. Uh, if a person strikes a man, shall be put to death. He, if he did not do it by design, if he did it by accident, uh, we're going to let him go away. But he obviously is not allowed to be in the community anymore. 
What that that's kind of important for a specific person. Remember who? Moses. Moses. <laughs> <laughs> Moses killed somebody and supposedly did it on accident, right? And then he leaves. But really, what he ended up doing is, is really he schemes against another and kills him treacherously. And then they're supposed to kill him. So does that apply outside the Jewish community? This is a weird well, question. <laughs> we don't know. I mean, like the outside world, uh, we we really have no archaeological. I mean, we have we have evidence of stuff that they did sociologically, but uh, did they have it written down as a law? We don't. We don't oh really no! Know. I, I guess my question is here for Moses, since he didn't kill a Hebrew, is that his get out of jail free card? Well, his get out of jail free card is God chose him be above every other human being on earth. That's his. So he's. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, that was a problem. Any, anyway, I was just, you know, if they aren't concerned with any other group of people, then their laws would only apply to them. Right. So, yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is if you kill an Egyptian, it's okay. Yeah, they're, it's they're not human. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. No, your, your logic is very sound there. If they're not Israelite, then they're not really humans anyway. They're just <laughs> paganistic. But we do the same thing. We have felony law if you kill it, if you do it deliberately, and, and we have what do they call manslaughter? Manslaughter if you don't, if it's not done intentionally. Mm -hmm. But we don't let them flee. We don't. Let However, them flee. even in England, according to the mysteries that I read, uh -huh. they had sanctuary places then, Churches. or maybe every church was a had a sanctuary yep. Yep. they could go to. That's absolutely a hundred percent true. Uh, and it's fascinating too because if you if you look at Europeanism, how many people say uh, sought out sanctuary? How many of them became priests? Really? Yeah, mm. or ended up serving the church because mm. once you got there, you couldn't leave the the uh, property. Yeah, you couldn't leave it at all, so you were there forever. That's why they had free work all well, the time. Sometimes they had then it could come before a judge, but if they didn't go for sanctuary, they're going to be killed right then by a mob or by whoever exactly. after them. Exactly. It's, it's the uh, story of uh, uh, the hunchback. That's, that, it's, uh, anyway, I'll get into that another day. <laughs> so my, one of my favorite parts about European history and the connection to Torah is this, that when you look at the Middle Ages specifically, they're dealing with a lot of the same issues. And the the laws that they use to inflict upon the people in Europe are almost directly from the Hebrew Bible. Yeah. <coughs> My next part is a little fascinating. He who strikes his father or mother shall be put to death. You hit your mom or dad, you're dead. He who kidnaps a man, whether he has sold him or is still holding him, shall be put to death. He who insults, now this is a, a, a bad uh, translation, but uh, some viewers might say reviled curses curses his father and mother shall be put to death uh when his when a man quarrels and one strikes the other with a stone or fist and he does not die but has to take his bed if he then gets up and walks outdoor upon his staff the assailant shall go unpunished except that he must pay for his idleness and his cure <laughs> this is the translation problem like we, we're like what but, but basically it's the idea that if you if you hurt somebody on purpose you have to pay for their lost wages like 
that's huge. This is one of those moments that we know very few cultures did, um, but the Hebrew culture supposedly did. And later on, the Arabic culture, coincidentally. Um, when a man strikes his slave, male or female, mind you, with a rod, and if he dies there, and then, uh, well, under his hand, he must be avenged. But if he survives a day or two, he is not to be avenged since he is the other person's property. Um, it's just weird stuff here. Mm -hmm. when, when men fight and one of them pushes a pregnant woman and a miscarriage results, which is, to me, just blows my mind that this is even in there. <laughs> but no other damage ensues. The one responsible shall be fined according as the woman's husband may exact from him. The payment to be based upon the reckoning. Well, basically what the judges determined or what the priests have decided. Uh, this is the part that I want you to hear. Other than damage to, this is in the commentary, other than damage to the woman, perhaps the reckoning of the age of the fetus, but both this, this translation and the alternative, as the judges determined, are questionable. Halaic, uh, this is from Halal, exegesis infers that since the punishment is monetary rather than execution, the unborn fetus is not considered a living person and feticide is not murder. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, it, in this place, this is one of those weird moments where abortion then becomes permitted when necessary to save the mom. This is huge. Um, that this is something that the culture had continued to do, still believes if it's if it'll save the mom. Remember, what's what's the mom's role? Let's keep the on the Jewish. Continue on the Jewish tradition. So if, if, if you can save the mom, it's okay. I'm not making a judgment statement. I'm not making a sociological statement. I'm just saying that in this culture, in that ancient past, this is how they did it. And I just... And we're still arguing about it today. Massively <laughs> arguing about it today. And, and it's on both sides. I mean, there is no... Oh, yeah. There's no uh, cross here. But this for these folks... Uh, this this was not a problem. The, the part that I have a massive problem is, is that, but if other damage, verses 23, but if other damages ensue, the penalty shall be life for life. Now, ready, ladies and gentlemen, here's your proof that we are Mesopotamian in nature. <laughs> An eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. That is, see my remember? Starts with an H. Yeah, I, I can't say his name. Hannah. Hammurabi's code. Oh, oh, oh. This, this is this predates uh, even biblical translations. Hammurabi's <laughs> code goes way, way back. back. Eye for an eye has been mm -hmm. something that the Mesopotamians, which are older than the Israelites, um, have been doing for millennia. And they still kind of practice this. Very much so. Um, it, it's fascinating though when you go. In that area and you listen to them talk about Hammurabi because they don't talk about it as Torah based and they don't talk about it as Quran based they talk about it as Hammurabi based the eye for an eye is focused only on the more conservative extremist groups not um, not the Muslims that you see on TV most Muslims are very similar to being Jewish. Other the, the, the massive difference 
for them is, is the amount of times that they pray during the day. The extremist groups that you see on the news all the time, they're following Hammurabi's code. And that's where they feel like that they're doing what they're supposed to do. There's this one little bit of piece in the Quran that talks about if one dies in the name of Allah, they will be blessed with many, many virgins and they'll be treated into this heaven-like existence um, that, that they use this part to lift up. Um, again, I want to make sure I say this very clearly, that is not the way that all Muslims are. I would say 98% of them do not believe that. Was that they call it? It's a, uh, a jihad. A jihad is not something that 98% of Muslims believe. Do they believe in heaven? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because that's where you're going to get the virgins. Yeah, I understand that. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, but yeah, it's a fascinating question. Yeah, no, they believe in heaven. They believe in angels. Um, Muhammad, for them, opens it, it. becomes the intermediary in a lot of senses between the Jewish culture and uh, the even the Christian culture, for that matter. Um, it's it's really fascinating how that works. So yeah, the the Muslim culture has no issues. With that, but this 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 part right here is where that comes from. But Hammurabi predates the Bible. But look at it. If you put it on your own page, it becomes what? Law. It's Law. Funny. It becomes yours. This is plagiarism at its finest. Also, there's no judges involved here. I mean, you may have a judge, but well, I mean, <laughs> at the end of 22, to. it says is that court allows or the judges allow. That's right. To be based on the reckoning. Should be like near. What, what is your say, verse twenty-two? Uh, it says, "If men are fighting to get pregnant, well, you you asking about the?" It's at the end of that verse. Yeah, if, mm -hmm. you're, if there's a serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for no, hand. No, it's above that. It's the end of twenty-two, where it says the judges are court. The court allows is what mine reads. Yeah. Yeah. But so somebody I, makes that decision on your behalf. I guess what I'm saying is that it's laid out, though. They don't have to figure out, okay, is it going to be one finger, <laughs> hand for hand? I mean, you know. Well, it gets better because we're actually going to talk about that. Okay. In verse 26, for example, they go into a little bit more detail as how, the work, how this works. Now, again, Hammurabi was not the only one that, but we, we claim him the most. The Jewish Translation Society does a great job about talking about the laws of Eshnuna, uh, who is a Babylonian, um, who also had these very similar laws. Now, here's where it gets cool. They, they talk about it here for just a second, but what really ends up happening is, is that you take Babylonian, Mesopotamian, and Israeli and put it together, and we get from 28, 26 to 32 here, a homogeny of all of these cultures from around, which is cool because they're going to tell you how do you know which is what. For example, when a man strikes the eye of his slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let them go free on account of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let him go on a free account of his tooth. When an ox goes, gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the odor of the ox is not to be punished. 
If, however, that ox has been in the habit of goring and its owner, though warned, has failed to guard it and it kills a man or woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner, too, shall be put to death. If ransom is laid upon him, he must pay whatever is laid upon him to redeem his life. So, too, if that gores a minor, male or female, the owner shall be dealt with according to the same rule. But if the ox gores uh, a slave, male or female, he shall pay 30 shekels of silver to the master and the ox shall be stoned. When a man opens a pit or digs a pit, I mean, I'm, I'm going on further, but uh, this is start, starts to go into property. It opens a pit or digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or ass falls into it, the one responsible for the pit must make restitution. He shall pay the price to the owner, but shall keep the dead animal. What? When a man's ox injures his neighbor's ox and it dies, they shall sell the live ox and divide its price. They shall also divide the dead animal. If, however, it is known that the ox was in the habit of boring, there it is again, and its owner has failed to guard it, he must restore ox for ox, but shall keep the dead animal. When a man steals, I'm just going to stop, because it's just going to keep going. But you see, so now what they're doing is to say, here's, here's how you know that, Robert. Here's what it means by an eye for an eye. Here's what it means literally by a tooth for tooth. Bruise for bruise. Hole for hole, because, you know, goring is going to give you a hole. Um, and then they're going to talk about physical holes in the ground. This is, this is their art, way to articulate how this law is becoming real. I find it amusing, not for the, not for the bull, but uh, yeah. if, if he kills somebody, <laughs> he gets killed. Uh-huh. I mean, it's... He had, he, he, he'd been told. Yeah, that's what animals <laughs> sort of do, but... Right. Or maybe he could cut his horns this off. This kind of sounds like an episode of Judge Judy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would, I would 100%. Yeah, we, st we still do this. Just, if your that, dog bites somebody, right. then you just well, check listen. and see if he has rabies. But if he's bitten somebody before and he bites somebody, then <laughs> he's put in quarantine and probably put to death. Uh -huh. Somebody in Oklahoma City goes to trial this week because of that. Because uh -huh. his dog's killed somebody. Uh -huh. Yep. Uh -huh. And they've been known to, to get out and do something before. Yeah, this, 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 this is a, I mean, look at it's it, correct. we're in 2021, here's, you have literal connections to this, this is, I mean, these are not rocket science, but look at how it breaks <laughs> it out, right, I mean, if you're out in the wilderness and in the desert, and you're trying to, you know, trying to figure out how we're supposed to live law, this actually is very helpful, I mean, it's not, it's not a bad thing, but for us, this is just common sense, you, you hit my car, Right, my insurance company pays for it, but you know somebody <laughs> somebody's gonna. But I there's, have to pay for the insurance. There's some call. That's right. That's right. Somebody somebody has to do responsibility. It. That's right. We have ah. There's the word. Right. Do you have insurance? <laughs> there is a. What's happening is, is they're creating a sense of responsibility, not just to yourself but to others. See how this has shifted. So now we're not just talking about Torah-based laws. We're talking about the responsibility that comes with that. I have to, I have to take care of my name. How do I do that? Well, here's a good example. <laughs> don't let your ox kill the fence. Yeah, just don't yeah, the fence. Yeah. And where they had fences in the desert, I don't know. <laughs> I don't either. Yeah, because they still don't do that. But, you know, it's, it's fascinating if they do this. Like, and if you're going to dig a pit, 
Uh, okay, I mean, I can see it. You, you do that to get water and stuff, but if your oxen falls into the pit and dies, man, that's a big pit. Um, you know, I'm like, that's, that's, a a, that's a lagoon at that point. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I find this amusing because when, we, when I first married, we lived in Pawnee, and there was this other telephone man before, and he felt visible, and he'd been a telephone man in Pawnee earlier. He knew everybody. And there was a guy that was across the road, and he wanted to, after we got through, sit the bowl up, and the guy said, okay. And he fell off a cliff. Oh, <laughs> and no. died. still has to take care of the dead animal like we're not going to keep it it's all yours now <laughs> and it happened three times like i i felt like it was three times but like i said this just keeps going through my mind this is yeah it's it, it, this is a this is a normal everyday occurrence in some of this stuff now now we start getting the property this is where i find it really fascinating uh this this is still this is still a struggle i i don't care if it's the Christian or Jewish based thing, the ownership of stuff becomes a problem. Again, you, you want to think the writers are talking about a group of people out in the wilderness sleeping in tents, right? And they're talking about this around campfires. And you've got, you, you know, you've got kids running in and out of tents everywhere. And somebody sees something that great grandma gave to you and they think it's awesome and they take it with them and they take off and now it is theirs. This is a problem. <laughs> That's my great grandma's, right? And and the kid says, "Well, no, it's mine because I found it in my tent." How 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 do we articulate this? And this this becomes a uh, this is a, a problem. You know, it's still a problem today. We we still feel this way. So when a man or steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall pay five oxen for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. Look at that. So you're, you're getting punished five times more for an oxen and four times more for sheep. If the thief is seized while tunneling, but, uh, that's not the right translation. No, that's, uh, it, it breaks into a, a house. That's the really what it is. If a thief is seized while going into someone's house, he is beaten to death and there is no blood guilt in his case. That is Oklahoma law. Yeah, uh -huh. it is. Right? We, that's true. If the sun has risen on him, there is blood guilt on that case. If you shoot somebody in, in broad daylight inside your home for breaking in, you're in trouble. If they do it at night and they break into your home, you're not. I'm totally serious in Oklahoma law. In broad daylight, the idea is, is that you have opportunities to get them out of the house or you can see them. This person is obviously causing harm, breaking into your home at night. That's the part everybody gets wrong in Oklahoma. Well, if they come into my house and I shoot them and they break into my house, uh, I can shoot them in the day. Mm, 
Not, <laughs> not, not necessarily true. But the fascinating thing for me is, is this comes directly to Oklahoma's law. You, somebody breaks into your home at night, you shoot them, and they die. It's okay. It's not really okay. You get in trouble, even though they still say you don't, but you still get investigated in the whole bit. So um, he then must make restitution if he lacks the means. He shall be sold for his theft, but if what he stole, whether ox or sheep, is found alive in his possession, he shall pay double. So there's this is what happens to the thief. When a man lets his livestock loose to graze in another's land, so and so allows a field or vineyard to be grazed bare, he must make restitution for that of that field or vineyard. Um, it, when a fire is started and spreads to thorns so that stack standing or growing grain is consumed, he who started the fire must make restitution. When a man gives money or goods to another for safekeeping and they are stolen from a man's house, if the thief is caught, he shall pay double. If the thief is not caught, the owner of the house shall depose before God, or it should say judges or something like that. Judges. Judges. Um, uh, the that he has not laid hands on the other's property in all charges of misappropriation pertaining to an ox, an ass, a sheep, or a garment, or any other loss, where if one party alleges this is it, the case of both parties shall come before God. He whom God declares guilty shall pay double to the other. How do you think they choose? How does God choose at that point? Our said judges. Judges, yeah. So the judges do. The judges that. choose. <clears throat> Every day, any day. That's how they would have done it back then. Um, I'm on to verse nine. Ten. Ten. And uh, oh yeah. Nine in your Bible. I, I missed. I missed. Yeah, I'm sorry. Mine is off. <laughs> I forgot. Ours goes off here. Uh, when a man gives to another an ass, an ox, or a sheep, or any other animal to guard, and it dies, or is injured, or is carried off. With witness, with no witness about, an oath before the Lord shall decide between the two of them that the one has not laid hands on the property of the other. The owner must acquiesce, and no restitution shall be made. But if the animal was stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. If it was torn by beasts, he shall bring it as evidence. He shall not need to replace what has been torn by beasts. So obviously this has happened before. You, you, you can see that like there's they're giving ways of out as well as ways in. When a man borrows an animal from another and it dies or it is injured and his owner not being with it, he must make restitution. If its owner was with it, no restitution need be made. But if it was hired, he is entitled to the hire. <laughs> now here's where it gets crazy. I think it gets crazy. <laughs> If a man seduces a virgin for whom the bride price has not been paid, a.k.a. haven't paid the dowry, and lies with her, he must make her his wife by payment of a dowry, basically, or a bride price. If her father refuses to give her to him, he must still weigh out silver in accordance with the bride price for virgins. Uh, so this is, this is a weird um, conversation because... Um, how do I say this? <laughs> Very carefully. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the father's making her a prostitute almost. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's exactly what's happening. And and him seducing her, he could have raped her. Like this is 
this is a massive problem for feminist Hebrew scholars. Um, this, this gives credence to allow women to be raped if I pay for it. And the dad accepts it. And this is, and this, this is a massive problem. In, and this is why I'm trying to be very gentle when I'm talking about this, but this does not, this allows that to happen. If, if I see a young woman and I decide to have sex with her and I talk to her dad and I give her money and give him money, it's okay. And now she's done. I don't have to worry about it. No, he still has to marry her. Yeah, sure. But if the <laughs> father decides to refuse to give her. Yeah, then he just I has to do the price. Yeah. So the dad could say, no, I don't want it. I don't want her to go to you. So this gives credence mm -hmm. to allow the dad to decide whether or not yeah. the intercourse was uh, okay to create marriage. Massive problem for our culture. Do the Jews still follow these not laws? Not even a little bit. And why would it bother anybody? <laughs> I think I mean, it, I, it's not good. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm just saying that I struggle with well, the, the things that happened 2,000 years ago. Well, more than 2,000 years ago. So the problem that I have with it is, is that we, when it comes to rape, it wasn't even a real word until really the 80s. I mean, if you think about it, in the 20th century, we finally acknowledged rape as a thing. It was a thing. It was always on the books. But if a woman said this man uh, had his way with me, it was mostly, well, you probably did something to deserve yeah. it. So it wasn't even Which really. Which still gets said. Yeah, it still gets said. It was still it was still a huge problem until the 1980s. So that's why I struggle with this because biblically, people use these passages of scripture to back up their actions, and I mean it's in whole cultures. Um, but and we have laws today these are not our laws. They're very similar. I'm just saying we have laws today that, that cover that. Now. And and as you said, it's still it's up to the judges to decide. But right. And then in the and, but in the 20th century is this when you started to see that really being enforced. That never really was until the 20th century. That's why I struggle with this passage. I, I guess my my problem is to me it's no different than slavery. I mean, there's lots of things it's covering here yeah. that in today's world are unacceptable. Right. But, but I live in today's answer. world. I don't live 4,000 years ago. <laughs> I'm with you. My issue with when we read these passages of scripture is there are still churches in the United States that will take bits and pieces out of passages of the Hebrew Bible, specifically in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, and say, look, it says it here and then apply it to today, which is, I'm saying the same thing, I'm just saying it in a different manner. And this one in particular, when I was working for Child Protective Services with DHS, and I was working in juvenile systems specifically, um, the, the dad obviously had read a lot of Bible and, and uh, quoted bits and pieces of Leviticus and Deuteronomy to, based off of what he did to his daughter. And, um, and obviously the judge just kind of looked at me like he was crazy, but his preacher showed up to back him up, <laughs> like at the court. And this was 1994. Wow. Like, so, I mean, like to me, it's still images in my head. And I agree with you 100%. We're saying the same thing. I'm just saying it 
in a different manner because these passages of scripture are dangerous if you apply it to today. They're not God's laws. There you go. Which is why the next part is funny because it says like verse 17, you shall not tolerate a sorceress. Uh, yeah, <laughs> practice of magic was something that took place back then as much as it does today. Uh, whoever lies with the beast shall be put to death. Good. <laughs> um, whoever sacrifices to a god other than the Lord alone shall be proscribed or punished. Is I think with a really, really what it's going to say. Um, That's this must be destroyed. Executed. 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 Mm -hmm. Nice. <laughs> wow. Should be put to death for worship, sacrificing to another god. Uh, you shall not wrong a stranger nor oppress him, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. That's like time. You shall not ill-treat any widow or orphan. If you do mistreat them, I will eat their outcry as soon as they cry out to me, and my anger shall blaze forth, and I will put you to the sword, and your own wives shall become widows and your children orphans. But I'm not bitter. Oh, wait, mine, is, <laughs> mine says that, not yours. Uh, and if you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, do not act toward them as a creditor. Exact no interest from them. If you take your neighbor's garment and pledge, you must return it to them before the sun sets. If it's his only clothing, the sole covering for his skin, in what else shall he sleep? <coughs> Therefore, if he cries out to me, I will pay he, for I am compassionate. You will not revile God, nor put a curse upon a chieftain among your people. Uh, this one we hear a lot here lately, This uh, uh, specifically about presidents. Um, people oh, use this in their sermons. You shall not put off the skimming of the first yield of your vats. Uh, what does your say? Do not hold back offerings from your granaries or your vats. Nice. You shall give me the firstborn among your sons. You shall do the same with your cattle and your flocks. Seven days it shall remain with its mother. On the eighth day, you shall give it to me. You shall be holy people to me. You must not eat flesh torn by beasts in the field, and you shall cast it to the dogs. I'm just going to keep going. Oh, wait, no, i got to so, stop. It's 10 o'clock. So is this God? I mean. Yes. And I mean, right, no. right here at the end. Is this the priests that are going to get these, or is it God that? Uh, yes. Hold? Offerings from your granaries or your vats. Well, we get rules later about how the offerings are treated. How much, how much is burned to God and how much goes to the priests. We're going to start getting into that here. Uh, yeah. but in the next two chapters. I don't know whether it's there or whether it's Leviticus. I feel like it's Leviticus. But... We just moved from do not do this to do not do that to. Now you shall be my people. holy people. Yeah. yeah. But what is he talking about specifically? The Israelites, I assume. Yeah. And their animals. Yeah. <laughs> what does it mean? I mean, what when he says, you shall give me the firstborn among your sons. The firstborn always belong to God, but then later they give you a way to redeem them. Right? The firstborn is so, the head of the household. Right. So <clears throat> what does he mean by give? I mean. To me, I'm not taking my firstborn and giving him to the priest, am I? Or to the sometimes in charge, or am I sacrificing him on an altar? You know, or am I what is it? What is it? 
telling me I need to do with my first. I may do it, but <laughs> depends on how he's acting at the yeah. moment in, in all honesty we really don't know what it means i mean we we, we have a lot of ideas like this is a perfect example of where robert and i were going to semen ago it's just like this is so ancient it has hmm. nothing to do with the culture today yeah. and nobody really understands that like where's why the firstborns well, if you think about it, every firstborn has been affected since creation. Right. So, it, well, it's, well, it's always starts with the firstborn, but the second is the one that gets lifted up, right? Or the yeah. baby always mm -hmm. gets lifted up. The firstborn is supposed to be the head of the household, but he keeps making up mistakes all the time. <laughs> and so he loses that every single time. So, um, so it, it's, it's a weird sociological thing that we really just don't have an answer for. Uh, I want to give you a fake one, but I really don't want to do that. I mean, even the Jewish Translation Society in the commentary says uh, it's a little uncertain as to what that means. Um, even even the idea of the Levitical priest thing, giving their firstborn to be a Levite priest, wasn't necessarily a practice that was always followed. Um, and there's fantastical stories about these that become... Um, priests out of weird things like Samuel his whole his whole journey is fascinating how he becomes a priest and how he starts Jeremiah same same idea these these people that are lifted up um, are not normal Levitical priest stories so we'll just leave it there okay. wouldn't there be a limit on how many you wanted anyway I mean, I mean you think so <laughs> I mean there's only one temple at this point there's they're not, there's they don't even have a tabernacle they don't yet. have a tabernacle yet so it's they're just out there weird. in the desert um th there was a I'm, I'm gonna throw this out here because of the recording because it, there's a lot of misinformation on the internet right there there's a there's an organization I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head that 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 really wants the end of the world to come I mean really wants jesus to be here tomorrow and, I, and regardless i i feel like i want jesus back but they're really stretching and what they do is is they take all 12 tribes of israel and all, all 12 tribes have a specific role theoretically in the the common way of life levites became priests benjaminites did this and, you know whatever um we have no proof of that whatsoever, but th this website has done a huge following that this is this is the what was supposed to happen. They might take this passage, for example, Kim, and say, here's your proof. The firstborn should go off and do this. Scariest thing I ever saw when I was on the East Coast was this idea of a, uh, what do they call it? I'm making a, um, you call the thing that you put the arrows in. Quiver. quiver. I'm going to make a quiver full of God's soldiers. And the firstborn would be trained in the, all the military arts. And they were doomsday preppers. And I mean, I would be out in churches out in the middle of nowhere. And they'd say, and this is my quiver. And they'd have like <laughs> nine kids. Oh. And the oldest kid was being trained in the military to come back to train all of his brothers and sisters as they were building their doomsday the pyramid effect. Yeah, yeah. So this 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 is a thing that's happening in the 20th century. Why? Well, because there's this idea that God's coming back and we all have to do this. Where did they get this from? Right here. Did they take it completely out of context? Yes. But people, as we start at the very beginning of this discussion, 
will believe whatever they want to believe. At the end of the day, the Hebrew culture was trying to establish some law and order in a very chaotic place. And with that, I'm going to push stop. Did you have a comment? I was just going to ask, even for our congregation, how do you argue no book but the Bible? And then, as, as I was doing earlier, dismiss some of this as being uh, culturally applicable at that time. Sure. Which is what I would consider not culturally applicable at this Today. time. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I, to me, there's there's no argument anywhere where you even about, and I'll go back to, to uh, slavery. Mm -hmm. Quite acceptable here. They've got all the laws laid down, you know, and like you said earlier, United States indentured servants followed this very same path. Mm -hmm. um, even the early slaves fell into that category until they figured out that there was too many of them getting free. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, but how do you how do you not apply everything and how do you not because that this does happen all the time. I think you take one sentence yeah. and this is why you did this. Well, I, I think, and this is definitely why we're keeping the recording going on. I think the part that is important for me that the Christian church has done a decent job, but not a great job, is, is that when we say phrases like no book but the Bible, we take Bible study very serious. We want, we want more than just uh, a feel-good, lukewarm Here's what you should take out of it, proof texting version of the Bible. We want to have discussion like we're doing right now and to say, okay, yeah, this part might be applicable today and this part might not be applicable today. Uh, that's important for us. Um, whereas in a lot of movements, that is not important for them. The minister says, the people react. For us, it was very important that we were in discussion. Now, here's the beautiful part. My hope is, is that when we have Bible study like this, that you don't come out of here saying, well, Josh says, this is how the Bible is supposed to be. The goal is, is that, well, the Bible speaks to me this way today based off of our discussion. That's the hope. And then the, and then the, the overlying meta narrative that I try to give to all the time is, is that it's that, that Jesus language, that if it causes harm to others, is it, if you're not loving your neighbor if you're not loving your enemy then we're not doing it right and then we got to go back we got to read it again and see how we messed up and now we have to relearn so i hope that helps that's my hope anyway anybody on the ether on the internet there have a comment or statement before i close the prayer it's not <laughs> okay i'm gonna stop the recording <laughs>